song she was playing ends with, He is the great I am. And he is indeed. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> As we continue in our study of this great book, having spent three weeks on the first 11 verses of this chapter, we come to 12 through 17. We may or may not finish that today. Just advance warning there. Because we want to see all that the writer here is wanting us to understand and grasp as we come to, to this point. As we move toward quickly toward the end of this book, but there's so, yet so much to learn from it. Follow along as I read beginning in verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Every time you come in a passage of Scripture to a word like, therefore, or then, or even in the King James, wherefore, the whole point there is that there is a transition taking place. Typically, it is a transition out of instruction and into exhortation. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Roman Christians, writes 11 chapters that are nothing but deep doctrinal truth. I mean, it's teaching about the character of God, the nature of God, the salvation of God, and all the great things. And then he comes to chapter 12 in Romans, and he begins that chapter by saying, Therefore, present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Now, now Paul is not saying there, this is something you can do all by yourself. He's not saying there that that's something that you, you know, you just present your bodies. You have the power, you have the right, and all that. But he's saying, in light of all that I've just taught you, in light of all that God has done and is, is, and is doing, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Therefore is always a significant word in Scripture that you ought to pay close attention to. When the writer of Hebrews moved into chapter 12, if you recall, verse 1 began with therefore. After chapter 11's teaching on all the great saints of faith in the Old Testament, after going through all of those who had trusted God in difficult times, in good times, in, in unbelievably stressful times, after showing how 
all those in the Old Testament were saved in the same way we are, by grace through faith in Christ. After he shows all that, then in verse 1 he says, therefore, and he talks about lay aside every encumbrance and every sin that so easily entangles us, and run with endurance the race that is set before us, setting our eyes or fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He says, on the basis of all these examples and the power of God that was demonstrated in their lives and is demonstrated in your life, on the basis of all that, now you run the race like they ran the race. There's exhortation. Some people don't like exhortation because exhortation is saying now that you have a rich understanding, now that you have a knowledge, now that you have the presence of God in your life, now do something with it. Too many of us like to just say, well, I'll sit back and let God do it all. Well, God does do it all. But he encourages us to run the race. He encourages us to fix our eyes. He encourages us to lay aside the idols and lay aside every encumbrance and every sin that so easily entangles us and, and trips us up. There is, a, there is an interesting paradox in the Christian life. It's all of grace and it's all of God, but you're involved. And without your involvement, it doesn't get off the ground. Without your involvement, it's nothing. And so there's this paradox that we have to be very careful. You come down on either side, you miss the whole point. If you say, no, it's all of man, it's all of his will, it's all of his doing, then you miss the beauty of the glory of the riches of God's grace. And you'll never understand the Christian life. And so the writer here says, I want you to understand the, the importance of it. Then in verses 4 through 11, we saw there teaching about the Father's love. And out of the Father's love flows the Father's discipline. And that there is never a time in any believer's life that they are not loved by God, and there's never a time in any believer's life that because of that love they're not disciplined by God, taught by God, instructed by God, corrected by God when necessary. I mean, that is just a part of the Christian life. And he even says, if, if you're not being disciplined by God, if you're not knowing the discipline of God, then you're an illegitimate child. You don't even belong to the, to the family of God. Discipline is a reality. Discipline is a part of it. Just as earthly fathers discipline us, we respected them. We, 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 we know they only did it what they thought was best. They didn't always do it right. But yet God always does it right. So on the basis of, of this idea of discipline, in, in verse 12, he, he takes another little twist. He makes a transition. He goes from teaching about the discipline and the love of God to making application of that, applying it to your life on a daily basis. And so he, he starts out by talking really about the corporate relationship, the corporate body of Christ. And he starts out by, by trying to get them to understand that, that this is, we're not in this alone. It's not all by ourselves, but we're together as a body. We're together as a family. We're together as the people of God. And this instruction goes to us. So he says, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your own feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather may be healed. Where in the world did the writer to Hebrews get those ideas? They're not unique with him. They come out of the concept in the Old Testament. Really in verse 12 when he talks about strengthening the hands of the weak and the knees of the feeble, he, he's, he's paraphrasing what Isaiah had to say in Isaiah chapter 35. 
Verses 3 through 8, especially verses 3 and 4. Isaiah says, Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Uh, the recompense of God will come and he will save you. The whole idea of there being weak hands, feeble hands, weak knees within the body of Christ is not, is not out of the ordinary at all. There are weaknesses. There are times of, of stumbling. There are times when, when we just wear out and we, we kind of have run the race some and we're tired of running the race and we've, we, we've had some discipline. We've even had some suffering perhaps in our life and our, our hands are just weak and our knees are feeble and we're, we're, we're ready to give up. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is there are those like that in your body and you are responsible for ministering to them in such a way that they don't stumble and they don't fall. In the Sunday school, we talked about our whole covenant relationship here. And when we see people drifting away on the basis of our church covenant, we call them back, we encourage them, we, we try to strengthen them in, uh, to stay within the bonds of the body because that's where, that, that's where the healing takes place. That's where the, that's where the encouragement takes place. But a lot of times we, we give up. We don't understand why God does what he does. And, and we get weak. We get feeble. I love what C.S. Lewis said about suffering in, in the Christian life and about difficult times in the Christian life. He, he said, you know, God works in mysterious ways. We've heard that before. But, but Lewis said this. He said, God whispers in our pleasure. When, when we're in good times and pleasurable times, God kind of whispers to us. God speaks to us in our conscience. When, when we struggle with right and wrong, sometimes God is speaking to us through our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pain. He shouts to us when we're suffering. Lewis said that suffering or pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And what the writer is saying here in all this talk about suffering and discipline and struggling uh, with life is he's saying, listen, that is going to cause some people to want to give up. That's going to cause some people to want to just kind of wimp out on the whole Christian life thing. And it's your responsibility to see to it that you strengthen the hands that are weak and strengthen the, the knees that are feeble. And the way you will do that is by making the path straight in your own life. If you go to Proverbs and read through the Proverbs, you'll find all sorts of statements like that. Make, make, make the path straight. Make way on the right path. I mean, the whole idea there, like, like Proverbs 4.26, which I think he's kind of alluding to here, uh, it, it uses that common expression of, uh, in, in, that's in the wisdom literature of God's way or of right living. Making straight paths is living according to God's principles, God's life, God's way. And he's saying here that if your feet are on the right path, if your feet are following God's principles, laying aside every encumbrance, laying aside every sin, laying aside every idol that entangles you, and getting yourself on this path of straightness, this path of God's way, then you'll be able to strengthen one another. You'll be able to encourage one another. You'll be able to come alongside someone that's hurting or in pain or suffering or, or weak, and you'll say, let me hold you up. Let me lift you up. Let me be a strength for you. And that's what the body of Christ is to be all about. 
sadly, it's, it's been said through the years that Baptists, well, it's talking about the Christian army, but the Baptists are part of it, and we're, we're sometimes more guilty than others maybe. But the Baptist army is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. Meaning that when someone is wounded, when someone is hurt, when someone is about to fall, we say, they got problems, I don't want to fool with them. When that ought to be the time when we come around them and lift them up and say, listen, let me be your strength. Let me be a source of God's grace to your life. Let me minister to you in the midst of this. But usually we turn our back and walk away and say, oh, I don't have time to be, I got my own problems. I don't have time to be caught up in their problems. Right? Hebrews here says strengthen Strengthen the hands that are weak and strengthen the knees that are feeble. See to it that your life is on the straight path and you'll be able to, to, to see that limb that is lame not be put out of joint, but rather be healed by your ministry in their lives. There's a mutualness. There is a mutual ministry that is always to be taking place within the body of Christ. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. You are responsible for one another, whether you're walking the path, walking with Christ or not. It's not a bunch of isolated individuals that happen to sit down together for an hour or so on Sunday morning and then say, okay, done that for a week. That's not what the church is. That's not what the body of Christ is. It's caring for one another. It's meeting the needs of one another. It's ministering to one another. And sometimes that's sometimes that involves physically or materially helping someone. You know that uh, I've always said, out of what James said, if you've got fifty dollars in your pocket and there's somebody in your in your body that needs fifty dollars and you don't give that to them, you've sinned. Clear and simple. But sometimes it's just a matter of, of showing concern and compassion and, and spending some time with somebody, hearing their struggles, hearing where they are, and then praying with them for God's grace to just overwhelm the situation. Strengthen the hands that are weak. Strengthen the knees that are feeble. Get yourself on the straight path under God's direction, and, and you'll be able to see healing take place rather than crippling effects within the body but he goes on I think I think it really ties in verse verse 14 with this idea of your straight path there seems to be a direct word here to the believers in this body of Christians of Hebrews that he's writing to he says listen pursue peace with all men and the sanctification and you could substitute the word holiness there for sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That which no one will see the Lord. I titled this sermon, What Should All Christians Pursue? And the writer here makes it clear there are two things, and they're really very similar, if, if you really want to know. And that is pursue peace with all men, as you can be at peace with all men. Sometimes truth will cause peace not to be able to be a reality. You always stand for truth. But as to the best of your ability, you pursue peace with all men. And also pursue sanctification. Pursue with all your heart. Pursue with all your life. Pursue with all your strength. Holiness. Sanctification. 
sometimes when I say that to people, I say, you know, you're, you're supposed to be pursuing holiness. They just look at me like I came from another planet. We understand what it means to pursue our careers. We understand what it means to pursue a raise at work. We, we understand what it means to pursue our, our favorite sport. We understand what it means to pursue comfort. We understand what it means to pursue a life that makes us feel good. But when you talk about pursue holiness, they just kind of look at you like, I don't get it. I don't understand. And that ought to be a basic of the Christian life to understand that, pursuing sanctification, pursuing holiness. Sanctification is that progressive growth in the Christian life that is to be taking place in every believer's life. It's, it's a progressive thing. It's a growing thing. And holiness is, is what that sanctification is growing in. And what is our model for holiness? Well, Peter says, uh, quite frankly, that God says to you and me, from God be holy just as I am holy. So our standard of holiness is not that person sitting next to us in church or that TV preacher we see on television or even the pastor of this church. That's not your standard of holiness. Your standard of holiness is the holiness of God. Perfect holiness. You say, wow, I'll probably never get that. You won't in this lifetime. That doesn't mean you don't pursue it. But you know, we as Baptists particularly have been so guilty of, of here's how you pursue holiness. Have a quiet time every morning. Read 15 verses of Scripture, pray for 10 minutes, and, and then go about your way. That's a tool, we would say, of pursuing holiness. Or another way, pursue holiness by being sure you're in church every time the doors open. That's a pursuit of holiness. Be there. And we, we kind of put these formulas on it. We kind of put these, these things that we do on holiness when in reality they may or may not be a part of pursuing holiness. I'm, I'm not denigrating having a quiet time. I'm not denigrating reading the Bible. I'm all for it and for prayer. But I'm saying that just that by itself will not necessarily help you grow in holiness. The way you grow in holiness, the way you grow in sanctification, the way you pursue it is by seeing the standard and gazing upon the standard and observing time, time, time again the standard. And the standard is the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself. Someone sent me a quote a week or so ago from a guy I've never heard of, but he's a French poet, author, and other things, Antonin de Saint. Exupery, or something like that. The last name really throws me, E-X-U-P-E-R-Y. But I love this statement, and it fits with what we're talking about today. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people together to collect wood and don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. If you want to, if you want to, 
build a ship and have people involved in it with you don't just say go get me some lumber and you nail these pieces of lumber together and you put in these screws and you lift this mast and you do these don't give them tasks to do they'll just piddle around and never get it done if, if, you, wanna, if you want them to help you build a boat if you want to really get a boat teach them about the beauty and the adventure and the massiveness of the sea and the glory of the sea and man you'll build a boat and you'll be sailing in no time our problem is, with holiness, we've been sitting around saying, well, say, uh, say this formula and read this number of verses and read through the Bible every year, which are all good ideas. But the real source of growing in holiness is fixing your eyes upon Jesus and, and seeing everything else in light of His glory, seeing everything else in your life in light of, uh, of Him and, and all these other things, these idols will quickly began to fall away. Pursue peace with all men and pursue sanctification or holiness. Look at that last part of that verse. I, that's amazing. Without which no one will see the Lord. Without which no one will see the Lord, will see God. Basically, I think you can... I think, the, I think the basic interpretation of that is one thing, and I think there's another application that's just as, as legitimate. The, the interpretation is, you know, if you're not pursuing holiness, if you're not growing in holiness, it means that the Spirit of God is not in your life, and apart from holiness, you will not see God. You will not enter into His presence. Doesn't mean you get a back row seat and have to sit in the balcony. It means that you, you just won't even be there. Because holiness is a part of the Christian life that is to be pursued. But I think there's a secondary application. When you look at what he's trying to do here, he, he's, he's talking about encouraging one another, strengthening one another, building up one another when we're weak and feeble. He's talking about touching the world with the gospel in a very real sense. I think it very well could be said that he's saying that without holiness among God's people no one will see the Lord outside of the church you know when Jesus was praying for you and me he prayed several things he he prayed for this peace to pursue peace he said he said father I pray that they all may be one unity unified in the truth, unified in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that they may all be one so that the world will know that you sent me. That's a phenomenal statement that Jesus made. You know, we, we have all these arguments for the existence of God. We have all these arguments for the deity of Christ. We have all these arguments and persuasive uh, things for, for saying Jesus is the only way. You know, it's salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we can argue those things theologically and biblically till we're blue in the face. But it seems like Jesus is saying that if, if the world doesn't see a unity in your life and in your church, and I'm just, I'm mainly talking about the local body here above everything else. If he doesn't see a, if the world doesn't see a unity and a oneness there, they have no reason to believe that God sent Jesus into the world. They have every reason to be an agnostic or an atheist. 
because he didn't leave a he, he didn't leave the mark of a believer being a cross on your lapel or a or a bumper sticker on your car or a or, or, or even church attendance or even carrying around a big Bible under your arms. He said, the way that people will know that God sent me and the way that people will know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one another, pursue peace with one another, and if you have unity with one another, then the world will know that God sent me into the world and the world will know that you are my disciple by the unity, by the love, by the oneness, by the, the peace that exists among you. Now again, peace is not at all cost. You have to understand that. Uh, you know, there's some people who say, oh, God, just, just got to have peace, just got to get along. I mean, it's, it's the Rodney King theology of, of church unity. That's, can't we just all get along? You can only get along. You can only have peace and unity around the truth. There are times when error enters in and that will cause division. That will cause separation. That will cause a lack of, of, of peace in an in a emotional, in a visual way for a time. But when Jesus Christ is lifted up and when truth is pursued and when holiness is pursued, there will be a peacefulness among the people of God. Pursue peace. Pursue sanctification. Pursue holiness. Without which you will not see God personally in His coming or secondarily the world will not see the Lord through your testimony and through your witness. Does that make sense? You're kind of looking at me like you're not so sure. Listen, people, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm getting into my thing with the children this afternoon now, so I'm going to be careful here, but, but people will believe what you, say, what you say you believe if they see it as reality in your life. That's holiness. If you say, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, I go to church every Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, it really doesn't make any difference. There's no evidence of Christ uh, living in you and through you and, and ruling over you. Then, then I don't care how many times you tell me to go to church. I don't tell them how many times you tell me you're a Christian. If there's not a visible holiness taking place in your life. Now, that's not a holier-than-thou-ness. Understand this. It's not a self-righteousness. It's not a... I'm better than you because I'm a Christian type attitude. That's not holiness. Holiness brings about humility. Holiness recognizes that, that I'm pursuing holiness and the standard is a holy God whom I am nothing like morally or, 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 or in any other way. I, I'm just not like him. And, and it humbles me that that's what I want to be. That's what I'm pursuing. That's what I'm going for. But Lord, I fall so short of it so often. There's a humility in that. There's a humbling in that that causes our witness to other people to say, listen, I'm just, I'm just a sinner that has been saved by the grace of God and, and, and I just want to share that truth with you. Not because I'm better than you, not because I've got it together. Believe me, God still has to shout at me a lot of times in pain and discipline, but it's because I care about you. But if there is no life 
all the words in the world will never suffice. He goes on to talk about, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. As far as possible, be sure that no one is untouched by God's grace. Reach to them, reach out to them, share the grace of God with them. And, and it goes on and talks about not letting a root of bitterness spring up. Boy, yeah, we're not even going to go there today. I, I, I want to just go back to this thing of hold. I'm not, I, verse 15's for next week. What are we to pursue? What are all Christians to be pursuing? Now, be honest with yourself here. Are you pursuing your career more than you're pursuing holiness? Are you more inclined to think the things of this earth, the wealth, the position, the, 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 the stuff, is what you really got to get? And, and when you get all that, then you'll come back and work on the holiness side. You'll work on the sanctification side. Then you'll really try to be what God's... Are you shooting for all the stuff you can get and then saying, well, maybe I'll get right and get my life in order and be moving toward what God wants it to be? What are you pursuing for your family? What are you pursuing for your children? Is your greatest desire for your children above everything else that they get rich when they get grown and have great jobs and great careers or is it that they really be godly men and women what's your pursuit personally for your family for our church the writer says pretty clearly that the only thing that a Christian has to be pursuing all those other things are optional the only thing that a Christian has to be pursuing is holiness. If you're a success there, everything will take care of itself. Everything else will take care of itself. It's kind of like Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you know, seek, you, seek first, almost went into King James English there, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his righteousness, that's holiness, Seek first the kingdom of God and His holiness. And all these other things will be added to you. In 20th century or in 21st century Christianity, the problems that we've had is we've sought first everything else. And secondarily, if at all, sought the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We've sought stuff. We've sought idols. We've sought material things. And that's been our goal. And Jesus basically says, if you're not pursuing His kingdom and His righteousness first, the other stuff won't matter. It just won't matter. What are you pursuing? What are you seeking? What is the passion of your life? 
Let's pray. Father, these are, these are not easy words. These are not light words from the writer of the Hebrews. These are heavy and they're hard. God, don't let us lightly pass over them. Don't let us casually say, okay, We've checked off now verses 12 through 15 or 12 through 14. Done that, been there. Lord, let us think about. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, trouble us by these verses. Don't let us be comfortable, Lord, in pursuing stuff. Don't let us be at ease. We're letting idols eat away our life. We're just playing games and not pursuing holiness. Father, break our hearts over that. Break my heart over that, Lord. Lord, even for a pastor, it's easy to pursue a ministry that is successful and make that an idol and just all the more stuff. Help us, Lord, to pursue holiness by gazing upon you. as you've presented yourself to us in your word. Help us to know you and be changed by that knowledge. Not just about you, but to know you intimately by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray for men and women, young people here that don't know you never trusted Christ as their Savior and their Lord. They've never believed in their hearts that you raised him from the dead and with their mouths confessed that you are Lord. And I pray today, Lord, your Holy Spirit would break their hearts and break through into their lives. Make yourself known to them this day. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.